turning your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Luke, chapter 8, as we continue to go through this Gospel. And we'll be looking at verses 40 down to the end, verse 56. Give heed to the Word of God. Luke, chapter 8, beginning at verse 40. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went... The people thronged him. And a woman having an issue of blood, 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitudes thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody has touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good cheer, of comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, and took her by the hand and and called, saying, Maiden, or Maid, Arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God is forever. The great enemy we have on earth is death. Illness, disease, sickness, and all other types of physical ailments are a constant reminder of our mortality and that one day we will all die. Death leaves those that live in great sadness, bereavement, with a great sense of loss. In some, it is more pronounced than in others. Many through the ages have looked for ways to escape death. 
or at least to keep it away for as long as possible. Yet death comes for us all. The origin of death is sin. For death is the result of sin. Before sin entered into the world, there was no death, nor that which leads to death. Death is the result of sin. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. Today, we'll look at a passage of scripture which gives us a preview of the end of sin and death. We will look at he who is the consolation of Israel, at the one who came to take away the sting of death and who triumphed over death, who alone is our hope and comfort, namely Jesus Christ. We'll look at three points of instruction gleaned from our passage today. First, an issue of uncleanness. Second, she but sleeps. And lastly, should we tell no man? First, on the issue of uncleanness. Luke begins this section of his gospel with Jesus returning from the Gandareans. Remember, they sent them away for having the demons enter their swine and drowning them. They wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't care about the two men that were relieved and delivered from the demons. They're upset with Jesus because all the herd of swine have been lost. Their economy, for those people, was wrecked by Christ. They were upset. They wanted nothing to do with him. So he sent them away. So when Jesus returned to Capernaum, the contrast is stark, is it not? You see the people gladly received him and have been waiting for him to return. They were glad to have him back. Then Luke grabs our attention with the word behold. And he introduces a man named Jairus. He served as a ruler of the synagogue, being part of their session. He was likely, Jairus is likely, he was named after one of the judges of Israel. In Judges chapter 10, verse 3, we have a judge named Jair, which the writer states was a Gileadite. Keep that in mind. He's from Gilead and judged 22 years. This judge had 30 sons. And they had 30 towns or villages as their own. When Jair died, he was buried about 25 miles west of Capernaum in a town named Haman. So it's probably a good connection there with Jairus, with this judge, Jair. Now notice how Jairus addresses Jesus Christ. He acknowledges him with great reverence. Now, the reverence that was given here was not a religious reverence. It wasn't like he knew exactly that Jesus was God and was worshiping him as such. He was actually just giving him extreme amount of reverence because he was coming to petition a great request from him. He was humbling himself. He was showing humility, saying, I am your mercy. I need your help. And this is how he approaches our Lord. Now bear in mind, 
in the scriptures, in the gospel specifically, there are three great wonders wrought in Capernaum, all recorded in the four gospels. We have already treated at length that one with the centurion and his servant. You may remember that. That was in Capernaum. And I want you to keep in mind, how was that servant healed? How did that centurion come to Jesus? Now notice the contrast here with Jairus. Then we have another found at John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54, where Jesus healed a nobleman's son who was close to death. In both instances, in the Gospel of John and with the centurion, Jesus never went to see the sick person. He never laid eyes on that sick person, much less touched them. He interacted with, these, with the centurion and the nobleman, and through that interaction, the two people that these two were pleading for were healed. Sight unseen and without any touch. Yet the wonders recorded here by Luke of how Christ heals involve touch and interaction with those who are to be healed. And you see, Jairus asked Jesus to go to his house to heal his daughter. The centurion said, I am not worthy of you to enter into my house. Just say the word. You see, Jairus' faith is not the same as that centurion. And this is not to put him down. This is, in fact, a lesson for us. Brothers and sisters, no matter how much you think your faith is small, the Lord hears you. He will hear you. And this is recorded to us to remind us even small faith, if you can even call it small faith, is enough to grab the attention of our Lord. You see, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith is impossible to please him. Notice that the word, that, that faith is not qualified. It doesn't say without great faith. It doesn't say without small faith. It just says without faith. Without faith. If you have faith and you come to the Lord, he will not turn away from you. He will hear you. He will receive you. He will interact with you. If you have faith in Christ, that whatever you come to him in prayer with, he will hear. And in accordance with his will, and in his own time, he will answer your prayers. You see, this is not a name and claim it farce. This isn't, you know, blab and grab it. Oh, you couldn't get it because you don't have strong faith. Nonsense. We see Jairus saying, Lord, come to my house and touch my daughter so she can be healed. The centurion said, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just say the word and I know she'll be healed. Faith in both cases. And in both cases, the Lord hears. Jesus Christ never rejects their faith in him. 
nor does he reject the faith in any who call upon him in faith. He will hear. He will answer. Now, there's some details here in this passage. In all these instances, you see men coming to plead for those that were dying. The nobleman, the centurion, Jairus, they're coming, they're pleading for those who are dying. And to, our, to my brothers, I say this to you. Do not ever let anyone tell you that men don't cry or cannot cry or plead to the Lord or to others for help. These men had enough faith to go before Jesus to plead for their loved ones. It is okay to cry to the Lord. It is okay to go and plead to the Lord. And it is okay to ask for help from your brothers and sisters in the church. They sought out help from others. Men, in your time of need, never hesitate to pray to Jesus for help, nor to go to your fellow brothers or others to help you. Be humble enough to plead for help. Now, which of you would not be pleading for their only 12-year-old daughter? If you had your only child and was 12 years old, lay dying, would you not go and plead to the Lord to save her? See, this child was sick unto death. Even the unbelievers love their children enough to risk all to save their child. Yes, the unbelievers love their children and they will risk much to save them. It happens. It's not just Christians. You see the love of the father for his daughter. You see, fathers, you are always to love your children and seek their care in all things. And Jairus came, seeing the crowd surrounding Jesus. He pressed right through them, right through them, to come to Jesus. And these people were all pressing up, up against him, as we see in verse 42. They were thronging him. They were crowding Jesus, touching Jesus, coming at him. And there are many in the world that act like this too. Many will seek after God if they can see some miracle. But they will refuse him when Jesus says, leave all and follow me. Leave all. All the philosophy and the morality of the world and be my disciple. That's when we know who are the true believers and who are the false believers. When they only look after Jesus to see what they can get out of him. In the midst of this throng of people was a woman who pushed past the press, pushed past the crowd, who went right in there. For her faith gave her enough courage to approach Jesus. And she pushed forward. Then from behind, 
Jesus, she touched the hem or the tassel of his garment. Why did she do this? She did not go to Jesus and plead. Lord, just save me. She, she said, if I can just touch, touch him, I will be healed. But you see all these people are touching him. Nothing was happening. But why this woman? Well, all the Gospels tell us she had an issue of blood. She could not stop bleeding as women bleed. She had done her due diligence. She had gone to see the doctors, the healers. She had gone to see all the people taking the different medicines, the herbs, the teas, the oils. She had done it all. Nothing to heal her. Homeopathic remedies didn't work. Vicks didn't work. Nothing worked for her. Twelve years, women, I think you can relate more to that. Twelve years of bleeding. And notice the parallel. Twelve years of bleeding. And there's a child of twelve years dying. Now, do not use this, pre- this, this verse here of the woman who has spent everything on doctors as a proof text where you're pulling out of context and then saying, oh, this must mean that we should never use doctors. No, that is not what this verse is teaching. It's not teaching that medicine is bad or useless. It's not teaching that doctors are not to be used or to be seen. That's an abuse of scripture. That is scripture twisting and will lead to deadly false counsel. And we have seen many so-called Christians use verses like this to stay away from doctors. And what happens? Their children end up dying out of something that was simple to be cured. We have seen it on the news. Pentecostals smothering their children, praying so-called tongues over them to have their children relieve the fevers only for their child to die because they misuse scriptures like this. This scripture verse is not teaching that. It's not saying you're not to use doctors. Not at all. We are to use doctors. The Lord has given wisdom to man and I say man in general, right? He has given wisdom so that we can have doctors, so that people can come up with cures, medicines to relieve our pain. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, we know there are certain medicines or vaccines or whatever that are derived from murdered babies. In those cases... We are to think twice before using them. And that's up to each conscience here. What is a fact is that God heals through secondary causes. He does. That's the normal way. And doctors and medicines are secondary causes that he uses to heal people. Nevertheless, we are always to pray to the Lord first for healing. And to look to him 
for deliverance. We are always to look to the Lord for healing and deliverance while in pursuing secondary causes or means for our healing. Now, with the issue of blood that this woman was suffering from, it was not only a medical problem which prevented her from having children, it was also a spiritual problem for her. You see, under the Old Testament ceremonial law, she was an unclean person which could not come near the temple, near the priest, nor come close to God through these means. Because she had an issue of blood. Twelve years, she could not come to the temple. Why? She was an outcast. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 15. Leviticus chapter 15. In Leviticus 15, we see what the law says. In verse 19. Leviticus 15, 19 tells us this. And if a woman have an issue, and her issue in her flesh be blood, she shall be put apart seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the even. And everything that she lieth upon in her separation shall be unclean. Everything also that she sits upon shall be unclean. And whosoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And whosoever touches anything that she sat upon shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And if it be on her bed, or on anything whereon she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until even. And if any man lie with her at all, and her flowers be upon him, he shall be unclean seven days. And all the bed whereon he lieth shall be unclean. And if a woman have an issue of her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. She shall be unclean. That is the law of God. Twelve years she was unclean. Twelve years separated from the temple. Let that hit you. No man can lie next to her without being declared unclean. Was she married? We don't know. She couldn't bear children. Imagine her situation. The law says, If a person touched her, she was unclean. Bear that in mind as she is going through the crowd. How many people are touching her as she goes through the crowd? Her faith said, I must get to Jesus. But the law says he will be declared unclean because she touched him. She said, If I touch him, I know I will be healed. That is faith. Brothers and sisters, that is faith. She approaches Christ knowing the law. She comes and touches him because on faith she believed that just touching him would heal her. This is faith. It may be 
what some may call imperfect faith because she didn't plead. She didn't speak to him. Actually, she did after she touched him. But the thing is, she had faith. And she was healed. Brothers and sisters, you may look at another person and say, I wish I had the same faith as that person. Then this and this and that. No. If you have faith in Christ, you have faith in Christ. And he will hear you. He will respond to you. Do not be envious of others. For he has given each person a certain measure of faith. And her faith was rewarded. She was completely healed of her issue of blood. Twelve years, all her finances spent. An outcast. Maybe not able to get married because of it. Definitely unable to bear children. And now she was healed. She had received the balm of Gilead. The greatest of bombs. She had Jesus Christ. She had no money to give. Yet the gospel says, come buy without money and be set free. She received her freedom. This healing made her ceremonially clean as well. And more was about to happen to her. Jesus asked, who had touched him? Now, remember, there's a crowd touching him. But he said, no, there's a special touch that just occurred. Grace had gone out to him, to that person who had touched him. And you see, brothers and sisters, this is how we are to touch Jesus, by faith, with faith. We are to go to Christ. When we pray, you must pray with faith that he hears us. Children, when you pray, have faith that God hears you. For he is not a God who sleeps, who has no ears to hear. He hears God hears us when we approach him with faith in Christ. Verse 46, and Jesus says, somebody has touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. Oh, congregation, what precious words from our Savior. Look here at his great love and compassion. What healed her? Her faith in him. Yes, she was trembling. She, she was trembling. She knew the law. She knew if I touch him, I make them unclean. Or could it be that knowing that if I touch them, I will be healed. To be healed of a disease that has dominated my life for 12 years. And she fell down on his feet and testified. 
gave testimony to everyone around them what Jesus had just done for her without a word being spoken. And what does Jesus say now? What does Jesus say? Be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Not only was she healed for her physical ailments, Jesus here is now declaring your sins are pardoned. For that's what it means to be made whole. Go in peace. How can we have peace with God unless our sins are forgiven? Christ pardoned her sins here. That is what's happening. This is the idiom. We've seen this throughout the Gospels. Every time the Lord says that sins are forgiven, go in peace. That's what it means. Go in peace means go in the peace of God. How do we have peace with God? But by having our sins forgiven. The only way to have peace with God is to have our sins forgiven. And how are our sins forgiven? By confessing our sins to the Lord. Repenting of our sins. Meaning, knowing, acknowledging that we are in sin. We turn away from living in sin to living in accordance to the word of God. This is what the Lord is telling you. Your sins are forgiven. You have been made whole by your faith in me. And he wanted her to testify. You see, when the Lord works this way, he wants us to acknowledge what he has done for us. Because remember, the primary reason for these miracles or wonders is for Christ to be exalted. For the Lord said, I did not come to testify in myself, but the Lord bears witness, and you bear witness of me. She had to bear witness of what Christ had done. And this is why when we go to the Lord in secret in our prayers, in our secret prayer rooms, and we pray to him, he answers our prayers, and we are to publicly then proclaim what the Lord has done for us. And here, she had an opportunity to confess that Jesus is the bomb of Gilead. Of all the bombs and ointments and medicines that she had used, it was the bomb of Gilead that healed her. And he is the one who heals our diseases, who mends the broken in heart and binds up our wounds. She was made whole, body and soul. And these few words, she was forgiven and receives a benediction from Jesus. Go in peace. The massive crowd around him were there, but did any exhibit faith? Here's one who did. Congregation never allowed a multitude of people deter you from Jesus. Even if you are timid, press through the crowd, push past them to get to Jesus. Whatever hindrances you have in this life, push against them to be close to Jesus, to reach out to him in prayer and scripture reading. And you will have peace regardless of the madness of the crowds around us. He will never reject your faith and you will find consolation in him. Never allow 
the crowd of the world tell you anything contrary to the word of Christ. Don't let the world tell you, well, if God is a God of love, then he'll accept everybody without Jesus. No, he will not. The only way to God is through Christ. Not through Muhammad, not through Buddha, not through anyone else, but through Christ. The only way to God is through Christ. Every other way is a false way. Well, while this unplanned healing was occurring, news came of the 12-year-old daughter. Which brings us to our second point. Verse 49, While he had spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. The healing of the woman by touching, but the tassel of Christ's garment was to be a further indication to Jairus that if he continued to believe in Jesus, his daughter would be made whole. The one miracle would testify to the certainty what was to come next. In spite of being told his daughter had died, Jesus tells Jairus to believe. What would have been your reaction? You just witnessed an unexpected wonder. Then you receive the news that your daughter had died. But Jesus told him not to fear. To only believe and that she will be made whole. But to heal a person is one thing. But one who is dead? Dead is so final. Dead is, <laughs> that's it. Had Jairus heard of the young man, the only son of the widow, whom Jesus had raised from the dead in the city of Naim? Had he? No. To have faith that the same could happen with his daughter. Remember the widow? with the young son in the city of Naim, she didn't come to Jesus either. She didn't come to Jesus. Jesus came to her and raised her son. Brethren, Jesus wants us to believe in him based on his written word. We too are to trust in things not seen and yet to be. When Jesus says that he will return, we must believe this will be so. When Jesus tells us that we are to make disciples of the nations, for through these means he will set up his kingdom over the earth, we must do so. And we are also to believe that he is the bomb of Gilead. He is mighty to heal and to save. Verse 51, And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and mother of the maiden, and all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Notice that he tells Jairus and the crowd gathered that she sleeps. She sleeps. What does that mean? She sleeps. It's not what sometimes we do in the pews. It's not sometimes something that we do after 
long day work and catch a nap. It's an idiom. She's dead. It's like when we say, yeah, Uncle Billy Bob passed last night. What does that mean? Passed. Passed to what? To where? We all know what that means. He died. We use idioms like that to take away from the sting of saying, she's dead. But Jesus says, she sleeps. You know, for Jesus, this would be like waking someone up from a sleep. That is how powerful our Lord is. Now, I want to pause here and warn you about something. There's a religious group called the Seventh-day Adventists that they take this idiom, a figure of speech, and build an entire doctrine out of it that affects every aspect of the gospel, actually. They believe in soul sleep because of a verse like this. And I want you to be aware and warned against this doctrine. When we die or sleep, our soul does not sleep. Our soul does not go to sleep when we die. And there is no such thing as soul sleep. The Seventh-day Adventists were, the, were not the first ones to come up with this doctrine either. The Reformers had to battle some that held to this view. When we die, our souls go to God and our souls are very active and have awareness. The body goes into a permanent sleep or death, but we know from parables and other passages that the soul is conscious and interacts with other souls. Remember when Lazarus died and went to paradise. You had the rich man, you have Abraham, you have Lazarus, and they're all interacting. We are told that the souls of the righteous worship Christ. How can a soul that's sleeping be worshiping? That's an action. That takes consciousness. First Peter chapter 3, verse 19 says that says that when Jesus had died and was buried, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Well, if the spirits are being preached at, that must mean what? That they're awake. Like you are awake right now. They're conscious. They're aware. They can hear. First Peter Chapter 4, verse 6 says, For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. What does that mean? Again, the souls are aware. They're not sleeping. There are clear verses that the souls are the spirit. Souls and spirits are interchangeable. Does not sleep when we die. For Jesus preached to them, which means they had awareness and were awake. So if you ever interact with Seventh-day Adventists and they talk about soul sleep, then which leads to annihilation and other nonsense, don't be troubled. Because, yes, Jesus says she sleeps. But it doesn't mean that her soul is sleeping. It's an idiom. Christian, be comforted also by Christ's word here when he stated that the young girl but sleeps. You see, Paul writes to us words for true comfort, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, when he writes this, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep 
in Jesus will God bring with him. Again, the Old Testament speaks of the dead of the righteous as one of comfort and peace. And therefore of hope to all who die in Jesus versus those who die without Jesus having no comfort or hope. Isaiah chapter 57 verses 1 through 2 says this, The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to it heart. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds each one walking in his uprightness. When we die, (laughs) we are not suffering. There is no more evil. Christian, you who have lost loved ones who walked with Christ, take hope here from Christ. You will see your loved ones again. They are even now at this very moment living without pain, without tears, without worry, not because their soul is sleeping, but because they're in the presence of God. They're in the presence of Christ. They're worshiping Him. And one day we shall join them as well. Here's your hope. Jesus is our hope because because of Jesus, we can know that this is truth. For He died and rose again, ensuring the resurrection unto life. He demonstrated this truth once before with the young man in the city of Nain. And he was to demonstrate a second time now with Jairus' daughter. The Lord takes hold of the girl's hand and speaks to her. From Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43, which is the parallel passage, we read that he said to her, Talitha kumi. We just read this from Acts chapter 9 as well. Recall the connection. Peter said to the young maid, Talitha, arise. Talitha kumi means, girl, arise. We read from Luke that her spirit returned to her body and she immediately arose, coming back from the dead. Notice the power of Jesus Christ. His divine power is on display for people to see. There was no doubt that she was indeed dead. Only God can bring life to the dead. And when when God calls your name, you cannot resist his call. When the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is calling you to believe on Jesus, it's irresistible. That call is irresistible. You will be, you will answer to him. Her departed soul heard the voice of her creator calling the soul back to the body. The spirit had no choice but to heed the voice, the voice of the creator and return to the body to become a living being once again. Body and soul united in life once more. This is the power of the word of God. Jesus the Lagos. He spoke and she came to life. He awoke her from the sleep of death. See your master and your savior here. He will one day when he returns. He will call. He will call the dead. To rise from the resting place. All the dead will reunite with their souls to stand before God for their final judgment. For judgment is of the complete person, body and soul. 
If you die in Christ, be assured of this truth. On that great day, your body will rise again and you'll be reunited with your soul and the Father on, will, on account of the righteousness of Jesus, bring you into the heavenly kingdom as a complete person, body and soul. And this is a great comfort. This is the foundation of our faith. You see, without the resurrection of the body and being taken up with Christ, there is no hope. Christian, however weak your faith may be, ensure your faith rests in Christ's promise that you will be resurrected on the last day, both body and soul. And despite the law in Leviticus chapter 21, which prohibited a person from touching a a dead body, Jesus touches her and made her clean, giving her life. And he is willing to touch us who are unclean with our sins to cleanse us, to make us whole. Be assured of this. If you turn from your sins and reach out to Christ, he will cleanse you of your sins and make you whole. He will give you spiritual life because without Christ, you are spiritually dead. And he will quicken you. He will make you alive in Christ. Our third and final point is a hard example for many Christians to put into practice. But it is one we we should learn to discern and to exercise, which is to tell it to no man. Now, last week, we were talking about Share your testimony, how you came to faith in Christ, or how you, as a covenant child, are a testimony, a covenant faithfulness of God unto a covenant family. That we should share our testimony, how we come to faith. Yet here, Jesus says, tell it to no man. Okay, so what do we do with this? Is this just for that particular moment? Or was there something more behind these words that apply to us today. Well, think about it. When Jesus arrived to Jairus' home, Matthew tells us that there are minstrels or musicians playing songs for the occasion of death. Mark tells us, the Gospel of Mark tells us, there is a tumult, a great weeping and wailing. It is a cultural norm in that region of the world to even employ, to this very day, professional wailers and mourners for when people die. Funerals in rural parts of Latin America tend to be accompanied by much weeping and the use of professional minstrels or mariachis. It happens in rural parts of Latin America. They hire professional mourners as well to come and weep. We have something similar here. And all this is to move and stir the emotions and to demonstrate the deep loss felt by the family. The house was full of people in great mourning. So that when Jesus declared that she was not dead but sleeping, they all laughed at him with great scorn. And children, scorn means contempt and disdain. Imagine you're gathered because someone you love has died. And you're one of these people who are gathering at Jairus' house, and you're weeping, and in comes Jesus, 
And he says, she's not dead, she sleeps. How rude, Jesus. How rude to give this man false hope. How rude. They laughed at him. Scorn. What did Jesus do? He said nothing. He said, get them all out. Get them all out. Congregation, many times when we find ourselves being mocked for our faith, the wise course of action is to say nothing. Don't say, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord is going to send you to hell. Repent or you're going to die. Sometimes we are to say nothing. Let them mock. Let them deride. Sometimes just stay silent. And you know, silence is powerful. Silence sometimes even instills fear upon others. Even will shut them up because they see that they can't goad you into a response. Because sometimes people, that's what they want. They want to see a response from you. They want to see you act like a, a fanatic. Or they're trying to entrap you. The moment you say, oh, he said, he told me, Mr. Manager, this Christian Bible thumper just told me that to go to hell. He's created a hostile work environment for me. They're not going to hear your side of the story. Well, he was bothering me because of my faith. They don't care. Sometimes the best course of action is to say nothing. We're not to cast our pearls before swine. Notice what Jesus does. He admits inside the girl's room just the parents, Peter, James, and John, to witness the great wonder of raising the girl from the dead. He only needed a few witnesses to be able to testify to the truth afterward. Now, given the state of affairs in the home with all the ruckus, the mockery which had been thrown at Jesus, and that many just sought Jesus for their own ends, he did not want them to be witness to this. He wanted them to be deprived of seeing this wonder. Twelve-year-old girl is dead and is brought to life. What parent would say nothing? The house was full of people. They fully knew the girl had died. And next thing you know, they see her walking, eating, because she ate afterwards. How do you explain this? How do you keep this away from others? Yet for the moment, Jesus wanted this to be silent as a testimony against the unbelief of those that mocked him. Beware you who mock Jesus, for it would be most dreadful for you on a day judgment. And one of the greatest forms of judgment against a city, a state, or a country is the silence of gospel preaching. The greatest form of judgment that a nation can undergo is not abortion or an invading army or the financial collapse of the nation, no. The most dreadful judgment that God sends to a nation is by going silent. 
and not having the gospel preached. For you see, the only way you, man can be made right with God is through the gospel being preached. If there is no gospel being preached, there is no hope for man. And that is the greatest judgment that can fall upon a nation. Jesus wanted silence of this great deed for a moment. A foretaste of judgment which Jesus would later preach against Capernaum, which we will see in the coming chapters. Brethren, let us pray that God does not silence gospel preaching in our country. Oh, that will be a scary thing. For when a true gospel goes silent, fear, fear. It's when a nation is under the final judgment. And before long, it will be destroyed. We see this in the Old Testament. It's very clear. If you're a Christian who is going to be undergoing that famine of the word, your response is to pray with fasting, to be humble, to confess your own sins and the sins of the nation. See, Capernaum will receive her, her judgment and her destruction for her rejection of Jesus. Well, eventually, as we read from the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 9, verse 26, the news of this resurrection does indeed spread throughout the land. A great work of God as a resurrection of a little girl cannot be contained. It got out. Brothers and sisters, when you work unto Christ, there are times when we are to say nothing of what happened. Just do the work of Christ. Others will testify of your work and bring glory to Jesus. Let us be humble. Let us not brag. Sometimes we need to say nothing. If God wants people to know, he will let them know. And that is how we should take and apply this verse here. Having discernment, when to stay silent and when to testify and give testimony. As we come to the conclusion of chapter 8, the Gospel of Luke, I want us to recall what Luke has taught us of Christ. How he was ministered unto women and gladly received their service. Taught us great truths of how the gospel is spread and how the seed of the word goes out. Reminding us that the word and the conversion of people is the work of the Spirit, not ours. We have learned of the majesty and supremacy of Jesus Christ over storms and waves. We have seen Christ's supremacy over demons and devils. That they are nothing to him. We've seen his supremacy over all sorts of sickness and finally over death itself. Christian, see the greatness of Jesus Christ and be of good cheer. For he is mighty to save and you can approach him with great confidence, however little you think your faith is, knowing that he will hear you and receive you. 
And there's nothing in this life to fear. For Christ is greater than all things. From storms to devils to illness. And even over death. He is greater. And this is your hope. This is the Jesus that you serve. Muhammad has nothing over Jesus. He is dead himself. His bones are dust. Worshipped by a bunch of fanatics who know not the power of God. Buddha, where is he? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He lives and is mighty to save. And we know this. If you believe in Jesus, you have, not you will have, you have right now eternal life. And when you die, you will see the consolation of Israel, the balm of Gilead. He who does not turn away any who come to him. Amen. Let us stand. Let us stand and pray.